Folks, you know what that sound means. It's uh, Wednesday morning here on Lake Wasota, on Lake Minocqua, over in Green Bay, and it's time to get some friends together, talk about issues up north and beyond. Hello, friends. Hello. Dr. Kristen Lyerly and I have props. We have our our ballots handy here, mailed to us, ready to be filled out and sent back because, you know, we're we're busy people. We don't know if we're going to stand in line on Election Day. Uh, mm-hmm. Kirk, you said yours is yours is coming, so you're doing the absentee ballot thing too, right? I, absolutely. Why? Why risk it? You know? Yeah. Why risk it? Why? Why be that like that thirtieth person in line? Um, you know, and have to wait for hours and hours and hours if you don't have to. Especially so to- this year when our votes have never been more important. Exactly. And to that end, I just pulled up the fresh stats from the Wisconsin Elections Commission as of uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, 412,000 people have requested absentee ballots so far. Nearly 400,000 of those have been sent out. And to this point, there are already 126,000 votes that have been sent back in. Votes are being cast as we speak right now. So make a plan to to vote uh, either absentee by mail, absentee in person, which starts next week, or just make sure you can get time off on November 8th to vote because um, well, we're going to talk about some pretty heavy issues this hour about what happens if elections go one way versus the other. But before we get to the uh, the heavy stuff, Kirk, let's talk about, well, I guess elephants are, are heavy stuff too, but in your case, it's, <laughs> it's an elephant you can drink 12 ounces at a time. How goes 16, the extinct 16, elephant? It's a tall boy. It's a tall boy because, you know, elephants are big. Ah, gotcha. Uh, <laughs> we are doing a tour of uh, in, in uh, Platteville, Madison, uh, Minneapolis and Chicago, we've just released Extinct Elephant, a moderate red ale, which uh, which they don't exist anymore, the moderate Republicans. And so this was a, a salvo to those conservatives. This is my one beer actually for the conservative-minded person that the Republican Party has left uh, because they, they stand up for democracy and they stand up for a woman's choice. Uh, instead of standing up for, you know, authoritarianism. So they can still be conservative and you can still, you know, be, you know, like-minded in that way. But uh, this is the beer for them. I've made a lot of progressive beers, but this is the, for the conservative that no longer has a home at the, in the Republican Party. Well, and we, we, we were just referencing in our last hour, uh, another Republican blogger in the state who says that even though he's a lifelong Republican, he's voting for Evers and Barnes because he does not like the direction that his party has gone. And I have no doubt that two years from now, he'll probably be voting Republican yet again. But in some elections, you just have to, you have to make a a stand when you feel like in this case, if you feel like your party has uh, gone off the deep end and uh, you know, your beer tastings are not limited to, uh, to the to to the Badger State here, I, I I hear. Are you really heading out to the the healing waters of Lake Minnetonka? <laughs> <laughs> so I just love the word. I don't know that Minnetonka just sounds so moccasiny. Like I gotta wear moccasins to go to it's Minnetonka. Purple rain, buddy. It's it's all about purple rain. <laughs> but remember, it wasn't Lake Minnetonka that she jumped into in no. purple rain. Right. Oh, nice. So make sure you got the right lake. Yes. No, so Pat, things are. Oh my gosh, I, I don't want to talk too much about the brewery, but we just got into total all the total wine stores in the Twin Cities region. There's like nine of them, Huge. and they're all like they're all like wow. WalMarts for booze, you know. So it's a uh, so we're gonna there's a Minnetonka total wine store that we just got into, and that's the reason we're doing a lot of these is that 
we want to like let people know that we're actually there uh, because Minnesota, obviously I got a bunch of followers from Wisconsin on my Facebook page, but a lot of them aren't in Minnesota. So we have to start working a little harder uh, in other states uh, to get our beer sold. That's we have to amazing. schedule. Well, I, I've got to see. I, I don't. I don't want to get ahead of myself. We should see if we can schedule an Eau Claire tasting. We could maybe get you guys together. We could finally oh. all get in the same room for the first time ever. And Let's do it. Are we? We're gonna be in the same room next week, right? Well, I'm hoping so. That's what. That's what I'm working on. And uh, so, so de- details are you know TBA. Uh, actually, they're still TBD at this point, but we're, we're working it out, seeing if we can finally, what? you know. Did you say get TVD? What? To, to, to be determined. Are we talking about VD? No. Oh, wait, no. that's when Chris is OBGYN. We are not. I've got you. I'll bring shots of penicillin. And it's okay, Pat. You don't have to be embarrassed. It's always always nice to have a, a doctor in the group. Everybody, everybody's just scratching when we hit and together. I, Look at Pat's blushing. Well, especially with, with your specialty. It just lends itself well. I can't tell you how many times that that uh, Sherry, my wife, has said to one of our guy friends, he's complained about being under the weather or something. And, and she says, would would you like me to write a doctor's note? You know, Because then, then the poor guy's got to bring a doctor's note in saying, well, my gynecologist said that I don't have to come into work today. <laughs> Yeah, we all could use a good gynecologist, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, so, some for reasons, uh, you know, different, like in your case, uh, you know, your your expertise and, you know, your... <laughs> it your... prevents a lot of question asking. Well, and that's just it. I mean, look, at we you don't want to get into that fight about which specialty gets the most questions and gets the most unusual questions, but you have to put OBGYN, you know, somewhere in the upper echelons of that list. And frankly, it's it's the answers to those questions that can prevent a, a, a lot of issues later on. So I'm 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 glad you're willing to do that, not just with your patients, but right here too. I'm just thinking that if somebody shows up with a note from your wife that says OBGYN and it happens to be someone who identifies as a man, they're not going to get a lot of questions. It's going oh, to be no, more of don't. a head shaker. Like, <laughs> they don't. okay, you shut, can be shut you up right away if she's just writing for like, you know, penicillin or something like that. <laughs> um, former U.S. Attorney Jim Santel joins us after the break. You're up north. Well, we have finally come to the program that Kirk Bankstead has wanted to do for the longest time about bad moon rising, trouble on the way, hurricanes, what, lightning? What all, what all did you want to reference in here, Kirk, that I'm stepping on? Well, I'm telling you, Pat, I'm, I'm normally an optimist, but, you know, when it comes to Wisconsin and when it comes to our elections and when it comes to democracy, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's possibly an optimist. And I was talking to... Jim Santel, who's, we, we've been talking a lot lately. I mean, this guy's kind of brilliant. I mean, kind of brilliant. I mean, he's from Wisconsin. He's probably drank away a little bit of his brilliance. But, like, like we've been talking a lot about Wisconsin and about what happens next. And he is trying to raise the red flag that we really have to focus on this next election. There's potentially doomsday scenarios in uh, in, in store. And we've been we were talking about that back and forth. And I was like, okay. We got to like lift this up more than just 
Jim talking to, you know, a few progressive groups in Milwaukee and me writing, you know, trying to write on my Facebook page. So we try to, that's why we're here today. So Kirk has wanted yeah. to do this doomsday show for, for a while here. And he's, he said, well, why don't we get this person or that person or that person? And I've said, Kirk, nobody wants to talk doomsday scenario when they're trying to keep the focus on, you know, the election and winning the election. We're like, who could we find that would actually, you know, entertain our doomsday scenario? <laughs> scenarios and talk about them. And so that leads us to our guest today is Jim Santel, former <laughs> Eastern District of Wisconsin U.S. Attorney from 2010 to 2015. Before that, he was the rule of law coordinator and legal advisor at the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad, uh, born in Milwaukee, graduated Marquette Law School and uh, University and of put, Chicago Law School. I screwed up when I wrote that note to you, uh, Pat. Oh, sorry. Sorry. That, that's on me. I could have caught that. Marquette uh, undergrad, Chicago for law school, for what that's worth, which is very little. Let it not be said that Kirk Bankstead hasn't drunk away a couple of brain cells as well. Over the years. <laughs> um, Jim, we thank you so much for, for indulging us uh, with your with your patience. And and yeah, all kidding aside, we, we've always known that there's there's some there, I don't. I don't think doomsday scenario is hyperbole, given what could possibly happen. And Kirk, you wanted to outline the discussion for us today. Yeah. So, first of all, Jim, this is how I want to do it. Over the when we every single scenario that we both we both help Jim helped me write this essay uh, uh, last Sunday, and so he knows exactly what I'm going to ask. But every single like scenario is a step worse for Wisconsin. And I wanted to talk about each one individually and then get your reactions from a legal, can this really happen legally in Wisconsin point of view? So let me just start uh, with it. And then hopefully Kristen can kind of go down the, the next road. But the the doomsday scenario starts if all three branches of, of Wisconsin's government are Republican, which means that Tim Michaels defeats uh, Tony Evers uh, for in the governor's race. And so we have a all a, a, a big Republican majority legislature. We have a Republican governor and we have a four three very right wing uh, Wisconsin Supreme Court. So that's the first step. I think that as soon as that happens, um, the the legislature will try to uh, pass a law that abolishes the Wisconsin's Elections Commission and then takes that power from a bipartisan group and gives it to itself, uh, the Republican Party, to manage elections. Can you talk about the likelihood of that happening and what that really means if that happens? Absolutely. And again, uh, thank, thanks, Kurt, for, invi Kurt, for inviting me on. Uh, Pat, it's good to be with you again this morning. Um, these kinds of things we're chatting about are not unrealistic. And while we talk about doomsday, and it sounds, sounds horrific, the reality is that the fact that you're raising this up this morning is, is significant even before the election. So getting right into this notion, we know well that for the past gubernatorial term under Tony Evers, he has vetoed many, many hundreds of bills, and they have prevented Wisconsin from becoming, with due respect to other states, Alabama and Texas and, and, and Georgia and Arizona, other places like that. Um, as Kirk, you've just said, if in fact, all three branches of government are now on the conservative side, Republican side of the House, that check and balance, that check and balance, which is always a good thing, not compelled by any constitution, the state constitution, that gets unsettled, right? And so there is the possibility of the legislature doing many, many things in this area and others related to health care and commerce and education, 
all kinds of things that they have not been able to do under this prior term. One of those things, Kirk, as you've identified, is with the Wisconsin Election Commission. We go back to the federal constitution. The United States Constitution itself is, is section one, I'm sorry, article one, section four, that says that the states themselves are responsible for establishing the rules and regulations, the state legislatures, for the conduct of elections in their states. We do not have federal elections in the sense that the federal government doesn't come in to our local cities or counties and, and run elections. It's done by whom? County clerks, city clerks, right? Those are all functions of the state. The state legislature, according to the Constitution, um, is required to establish, as the James Madison said, the, the rules, the regulations, the times, places, and manner of holding elections, that's a state legislative function. And so the, the legislature then has the capacity to describe how that's done. Kirk, as you just said, they've established the Wisconsin Election Commission, the six-member supposedly bipartisan group that is supposed to be balanced again, not political, uh, to do that, to kind of implement the rules and regulations, and also to support about 1,850 county clerks and city clerks out there. If, in fact, that commission is undermined or rescinded completely, and some other bodies out there, that's the first great concern, the great scenario that you're describing here, that then we have the possibility of having a partisan or some other constituted group that does not have this non-political, apolitical approach to governing and, and, and prescribing the rules and regulations by which we elect people in the state of Wisconsin. Well, this isn't even a theory. Like we have seen this over and over and over again with all of these election deniers that are running in all over the country. And here in Wisconsin, in pivotal places, they're only going to accept the results of an election if they win. This is very concerning. Absolutely. And, and Kristen, and one of the things that we're going to chat about, I think, a little bit later in the hour is, again, the real prospect that that could happen. There is another case pending before the United States Supreme Court. And I think, Kurt, we're going to chat about that a little bit down the road uh, that raises the prospect that it is state legislatures, a state legislature in Wisconsin, other places that could make the determining decisions about who actually wins uh, federal congressional elections in Wisconsin, other places. We'll chat more about that. It's not too much to say that. The, the, the specter, Kristen, that's raised is real. Mm -hmm. All right. So, so, Jim, you said that the, you know, the, the Wisconsin Republican majority legislature could potentially take the administrative powers from the bipartisan Wisconsin Elections Commission. They could either set up a new board or kind of just run it themselves in a, a very partisan fashion. What I worry about is that we have an election coming up in April which uh, could decide the fate of the balance of power in this Wisconsin Supreme Court. Uh, there is right now we're four, three uh, con rep conservative Republican balance in the Supreme Court of Wisconsin. But they've made a bunch of really terrible decisions that uh, have eroded Wisconsin's democracy in the last uh, few years. Um, is it possible if Michaels gets elected governor for them to uh, for them to pass a law before the April elections that could really affect the fairness of those elections and potentially install uh, another conservative justice, uh, kind of unfairly. Right. A couple of things to unpack there. Number one, we know that if, in fact, uh, a Governor M uh, Michaels administration takes over in January, as I said before, and as we're chatting this morning, all 
kinds of things can be reintroduced that were specifically vetoed by the present governor. And that crosses all lines, including, I think, right to say elections, most important, not to minimize the significance of health care and education and commerce, other things. But you don't get voting right, rights. All those other things pale, right? The reason why we have Dobbs as opposed to Roe versus Wade is because we elected a president. Where did that president come from? That president came from voting and that president, people on the Supreme Court, everything devolves and evolves from voting. And so you're exactly right, Kirk, that if in fact, come January, we've got a majority legislature, the Assembly and the Senate, and we've got a governor who is going to sign all of these things, including, including changing the ways in which we do elections. Again, according to the federal constitution, that is the capacity of the state legislature to do. And what is the check on that? What is the check and balance that James Madison, other people anticipated? Where is that? Well, you could go into the courts, right? That's always been the way to, to remedy these things, sometimes with good results, sometimes with not good results, but that's the judicial function. If in fact our present court, our present four to three court, as it's constituted now, takes a look at some of these new pieces of legislation that come out of a Republican-centric uh, legislature signed by a Republican governor, highly likely that they will affirm, whether it's in process or substance, what has been done. And then the other piece that you have more than hinted at is we have an election coming up. It's not until the springtime, April. Uh, that could change things. And that's why as significant as what's happening on November 8th is, um, April is also hugely important around the country and also in Wisconsin, because we're going to decide that, that additional vote, that additional four to three or three to four, that's on the ballot. Um, and we've got right now three candidates for Supreme Court justice who are running. Um, and depending upon who is elected, the check of the Supreme Court uh, in April and moving beyond either remains as it is with a majority conservative court, or it changes to majority, I will say, progressive or liberal court, in which case you do have a check, perhaps, on some of the legislative action. So all these things, incredibly important, they're happening in the next election. And then come April as well, that, that, that it's not a footnote election at all. I would say equally important when it comes to that check and balance here in Wisconsin, the judiciary, and it's always been the courts. Well, because that's where it takes us to what what is really, in, in my mind, the ultimate doomsday scenario. And that is not that it's about this election or the April election, but the 2024 presidential election, where you would have a Republican legislature make it much harder to vote, uh, a, a governor and an attorney general backing that, uh, Republicans in justices' robes backing that on the state Supreme Court, so that come 2024, we say we, we could foresee Republicans refusing to verify the election. Again, for those who say, oh, that's hyperbole, that's doomsday, James, from a legal standpoint, is it? it you know, it is not, Pat, and that's why this discussion is so incredibly important, serious, and why I do commend you for bringing this to the attention of all your, your very good and thoughtful listeners. We talk a lot about constitutional crises, and, and frankly, there are people on the, the, the talking heads, if you will, on TV, other places, always bandy that, that expression around. And so we think, gosh, anytime somebody does something that seems wrong or bad, it's a constitutional crisis. It is not. I'll use an example. People think that Watergate was a constitutional crisis. In fact, it wasn't. We had a president who was corrupt and did horrific things, but if you think about it, you had a federal district court judge named John Sirica who said, no, no, you've got to turn over those tapes. 
And what did Richard Nixon do? As corrupt as he may have been, he turned them over. He observed the rule of law. The Congress was about to impeach him and try him. Uh, the system worked. That wasn't a constitutional crisis. It system worked, but it also taught to this generation of Republicans that what Nixon did was wrong and that, well, all you have to do is, is stonewall, obstruct, lie, cheat, whatever the case may be. They look at what Nixon did as being weak and sets the scene or sets the stage rather for what, what they want to do. Not all of them, but what many of them in power want to do, which we're going to talk about on the other side of this break. You're up north. To let me die. There's a man going around taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. Welcome back. It's a Wednesday morning, along with Kirk Bankstead, Kristen Lyerly, and uh, Jim Santel. We are talking about the the unfortunate possibilities of what lie ahead when you have an entire political class that is playing footsie with authoritarianism or or fascism. Uh, they some of them may think it's just cute uh, that it's just you know a little cheating just to stay in power. Uh, it's nothing like that. It it provides very real threats to the stability of this country, Kirk. And before we, we you know, go, go into full-blown constitutional crisis, uh, let's pick up where we left off about, you know, the, the ramifications for 2024. Yeah, so um, we're talking about a Republican-majority legislature in concert with a right-wing Wisconsin Supreme Court and a newly elected Republican governor in Tim Michaels, if this happens. Uh, they potentially could pass a law that gives them all the power to run elections. And I wrote, and, and you helped me write this thing last Sunday, it said, if you pass a law that administers elections, you could also say something like, the Republican legislature has the power to verify every statewide election in Wisconsin. And they also are supposed to oversee them so that there's no potential fraudulence happening in the elections in Wisconsin. They would say that as they pass a law, but what truly that could allow them to do is if Joe Biden were to win Wisconsin by like 20,000 votes in 2024, like he did in 2020 by out of 5 million Wisconsinites, he only won by 20,000 votes. They could say, because they have all the power, uh, we're just, we don't like that result. We're not gonna verify this election or they could say you know what this looks shady uh we're not gonna sign over our wisconsin's electoral votes to uh to the vice president to congress because we need to have a two-year long investigation uh and they could slow walk electoral votes when past the time that it's allowed to get a newly elected president elected and that would cause the constitutional crisis which would potentially cause fighting among states uh, and that we, everything might break down. So how, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it blows my mind to think that this could happen, but legally, could it happen? You right. say could, but it is happening. It, they just don't have the power to push it through, right, Jim? Yeah, 
You know, Christian, you're absolutely right. That the, the, the theory, these kinds of things we know about John Eastman, for example, putting together memorandums about how to overthrow 2020, that playbook, if you will, is out there. And you and Kirk and Pat, you, you've all sort of articulated it. We know what that playbook is. It's a matter now of implementing it, if you will. So your Christian, your point is exactly right. Compare what you just said to what's going on right now. How do we how do we have integrity in our elections? Well, again, we've got these 1,800 clerks, municipal clerks, county clerks. What do they do? And I, I, I admire them tremendously. I do some poll working. I know you do as well. They are tremendous people, regardless of their political backgrounds. They are nonpartisan. What do they do? They do math. And again, I don't mean to minimize their role, but they count, they count votes, right? And what, what happens then? They send those basically to the Secretary of State. It's a little more complicated than that. And the Secretary of State also constitutionally sworn to use that math from the clerks to verify, to justify, to say who won the election. And what you're describing, Kirk, is a replacement of all of that. We may still have voting going on. We may still have the Secretary of State with some ministerial function. If indeed the legislature, the assembly, and the Senate come in and say, that's very nice, but we think we've got some sense that this may have been the product of fraud. And again, in a case we will mention maybe a little bit later called Brnovich, uh, the Supreme Court has said a different setting, but with respect to the Voting Rights Act, that you don't have to prove fraud. You simply have to be concerned about it. You've got to have an issue that maybe this might have happened. That came out of Sam Alito's pen in this case called Brnovich just a couple of years ago. Well, that but that's exactly what Trump did when right. he was saying to the Department of Justice, you know, you don't have to have evidence. Just say you have concerns and leave the rest to me. Right. And, was, and again, a legislative function to get back Kurt, to your, your point, if, uh, they may have some hearing. You can have someone in, a, a, a peer for a, a committee who talks about, yes, I was concerned that in Manaqua this happened. In Brookfield, this happened. In Eau Claire, this happened. In Madison, this happened. And do I have proof? No, it's it's Rudy Giuliani stuff. Ranks again to to, to Georgia, saying we we don't have any proof. We've just got theories here. But if a legislature says, okay, that's enough for us to pass legislation to create new entities that effectively supplant the clerks of court and the Secretary of State, and they're the decision makers, that is the scenario that you are just describing. That's what we're trying to move against. And so does anybody support having the legislature do that? Why? Yes, there is. There's a fellow named Ron Johnson. I would remind people that in November of last year, he met privately for an hour with Republican lawmakers and talked about having them unilaterally take over federal elections. He said, quote, there's no mention of the governor in the Constitution when it comes to running elections. It says state legislatures. And so if I were running it, I would come out and say, we're reclaiming the authority. Don't listen to the Wisconsin Elections Commission anymore. Their guidances are all null and void. That's an actual thing Ron Johnson said, along with this. The day after January 6th, he said the attack should serve as, quote, a wake-up call to state legislators to investigate election irregularities that didn't exist, by the way, reassert their authority over federal elections, and establish controls to restore confidence in our system, blah, blah, blah. It's all right there, Jim. It, it is out there, as Kristen was saying before, the, the, the plan is not unknown. And this is staring us in the face to this point, once again, of let's read it, let's understand what's happening, and let's take this notion to the polls in four weeks from, from yesterday, and then again in April, to ensure that we understand the consequences of what we're doing 
have to have turnout. Again, I know on this program, others, you don't advocate. Yes, you do advocate for a particular uh, partisan view. But more than importantly, you advocate for people to vote, right? Uh, the fact that we do not have voting at the, the levels that we should in other countries where it's either compulsory, even in Iraq where I was, there are huge numbers of people who still turn out to vote in this, this, in this emerging democracy. We don't have that here. And if we did, if we did, probably, probably, the Democrats and the, the, the folks who are more forward-looking would probably win most elections here, which is really what this is all about in the end. But turnout, vote. And, and address this issue. I've said this in the past, you've said in the past in this excellent program, if you don't vote, you lose the right to complain. When the legislature then comes back and says, we're getting rid of the Wisconsin Election Commission, or for example, we're going to reinstitute the 1849 law on abortion, or in fact, we're going to pass gun legislation that permits you to carry guns openly and wildly in, in the state of Wisconsin, healthcare, all sorts of things regarding Medicare and Medicaid monies. If that happens, the only people you have to blame are the people who, if you will, did not vote and who are now complaining about that. Vote, vote, vote. You are so right. And that is one thing that we can do. But I think that's also part of the grand scheme is disenfranchising people and making people feel like their vote doesn't make right. a difference. But yeah. on a different level, what happens if the Wisconsin Democrats sue to stop all of this at the federal level? There is something else that can happen. Can they do that? And absolutely. You can go into, you can certainly go into state court, and we should address that issue with, again, as, as we will in connection with a, a pending Supreme Court case. You can go into the courts and you go and go to federal court. Kristen, you know that well. You've talked about this in the past. You can run into a federal district court. Here in Wisconsin, there are two of them. There's one in Madison, one in Milwaukee and Green Bay, Eastern District of Wisconsin, the Western District. And you can get before a federal judge. This has happened. We know in some of those cases that Kurt mentioned at the top of the hour here, where a federal district court judge will take a look at that. A district court judge who is appointed for life, right? Um, who does not is not subject Jim, to- Jim, let me, let me redirect you because you've got all the great information, but- uh, we have six minutes left in this segment, and I want to get to the point where if we lose the Wisconsin Supreme Court and it's a 4-3 majority conservative court and uh, and they agree with all these election things and, and then the Democrats try to sue at the federal level, uh, there's already been a court case in 2019 that says that we can't really engage anymore. So tell us about that case and then the the Moore versus Harper. I think we're going to have to skip Alabama, but kind yeah, of absolutely. We can, we can try to get all, all this in. So 2019, June 27th of 2019, cases Ruco or Rucho, R-U-C-H-O, Common Cause, a majority of the Supreme Court at that time, five for a case written by John Roberts, who's still our chief justice, says that when it comes to political gerrymandering, partisan decision-making, drawing lines, uh, congressional elections, the federal courts have nothing to do with that. We're shutting down the federal court. Stunning, stunning statement. But again, to your point, Kristen, you can't go into the federal courts anymore if, in fact, you're alleging partisan gerrymandering. Okay, so that's one thing that's carved out. Um, and then you have, and then you have the issue. What about racial gerrymandering? What about other challenges that you can make? Um, there is this uh, uh, case that there are other other cases I mentioned already. Um, the uh, 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 case in, out of Arizona, um, Brnovich. There's a case called Shelby County, all of which shut down various aspects of the Voting Rights Act. There's a third case that's pending. It's it's called 
um, uh, Merrill versus um, Milligan. Maybe not enough time this morning to talk about it, but that also, the, the one that's coming up now, the big one that really goes to the point is uh, this case called Moore versus Harper. And it goes back to the constitutional language that Ryan Johnson talks about that I mentioned earlier on. And it says basically that, well, gee, if the leaders of our nation, when they put the constitution together, meant that the state legislatures establish again, the, the times, the place and the manner of holding elections is called the independent state legislature doctrine. What this crazy fringe theory says is that that language in the constitution means that the courts have nothing to do with this that the legislature is the only entity in our government that can address issues not only about process and procedure, but even more scary, perhaps, arguably, is who decides the election. And so, Kristen, to your question before, we shut down federal access when it comes to political gerrymandering. This theory, this independent state legislature doctrine, would also shut down the courts, state courts in particular, when it comes to allegations of gerrymandering, um, inappropriate behavior, conduct of elections, even who won an election, you would no longer go into the courts. You'd go where? Into the state legislature to decide who won an election. And, and, and again, I'll, I'll mention this and then we'll get more exposition on that. This has been out there for a while. It is a fringe document that's being charitable. I would say that it is a crazy doctrine. It has been dismissed roundly by people who are better than I am. And Supreme Court has from time to time said there's, there's no there there. John Roberts actually in the same call in the Rucho case also said, well, state, state courts are still there to address gerrymandering. He has said that's out there. But here's the fear. Here's the fear that brings us together to talk about this morning. The Supreme Court is taking this concept seriously. Taking it seriously. And they've got this case called Moore versus Harper coming coming again out of out of North Carolina that's addressing whether this concept is real. Uh, significantly, the North Carolina Supreme Court, which is where this case has appealed from, has basically said, this is crazy. This is a nutso notion. Courts have no involvement in this. It could only be the legislature. I'll read just a little bit about this. They said, this concept is repugnant to the sovereignty of the state, the authority of state constitution. And here we go. The independence of state courts and would produce absurd and dangerous consequences. That's the North Carolina Supreme Court saying, no, no, shut this down. Of course, our, our should be involved in this. Of course, they should continue to monitor this. And the United States Supreme Court, our nine high court justices have said, well, let's take a look at that and see if that's right or not. That's the other thing, the scary thing that Kirk and Kristen and you, you are all concerned about, all of us should be concerned about this morning and going ahead. Jim, I, I feel like I just got done with a whirlwind episode of The Paper Chase and you playing the role of John Houseman. So I, I, we're, we're going to talk about the, the the lessons of what you had to say on the other side of the break here. But thank you so much again for your expertise and helping us understand that, like the quote says, the, the only cure for what ails democracy is more democracy. So go vote. Thank you, Jim. Great to be with you, friends. We'll see you again soon. Take care. We'll be back after this. You're up north. Of the world as we know it, it's the end.
One more reminder that tomorrow morning in our 8 o'clock hour, my interview with Governor Tony Evers, and in our 10 o'clock hour tomorrow, Maggie Keeler, the chair of the College Democrats of Wisconsin, talking about the efforts to get young voters energized about whatever issues will will move them. It might be the abortion matter. It might be this entire threat to democracy, Kirk, that we've been talking about. Yeah, so uh, Jim has been with us for uh, about a half hour now, kind of laying out from the state level to the federal level, all the things that could happen where democracy is effectively ended in Wisconsin. And it all boils down to this. Governor Tony Evers uh, is kind of the last uh, protector of Wisconsin democracy um, because we've seen that the likelihood of all the bad actors doing bad things, we've been shown that they're willing to do that. And so really, we, uh, it all comes down to 28 days from now, uh, voting for Evers so that he can protect us uh, from an all Republican uh, branch of government, um, uh, 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 kind of all directed towards authoritarianism and getting rid of democracy. So uh, is that right? I mean, am I, am, I, am I crazy to say this, Jim? You're, you're not at all crazy. And it's a word I've used to describe these other theories out there, but this, what we're describing this morning is not that. And again, just to be clear, I think packed into all the things that the three of you are saying this morning is, yeah, elections have consequences, right? And you can have policy differences if we elect a Congress, if we elect a state, a Senate, and Assembly, different views than ours or mine or yours on various substantive issues. That's the way it goes in America. Why is this different? Why are you focusing on this? Because this approach and what you've described this morning so well um, changes the rules of getting to those substantive issues. Again, if you represent government, you may have differences on Medicare and Medicaid and education. This is changing the rules on how you make those decisions and who, who you send to your Congress and who you send to your legislature to make those substantive decisions. This is taking the Constitution, taking what James Madison wrote, and saying, you know what, we're going to contort it so that in the end, that notion of a republic that, that Benjamin Franklin talked about, if you can keep it, that notion of representative democracy is no longer real. And then, of course, we can go ahead and do all the other substantive things that, that, that we want to do. This is, this is procedural, and I don't mean to make it sound insignificant. It is core uh, republic uh, fundamental notions of checks and balances and democracy in America. That's what separates what we're talking about from all these other very, very important issues out there. And that's what's on the line come uh, November 8th. So, so Jim, you know, it's not like this is the first time this has happened in America. Uh, I feel like, and uh, people have said it that are wiser than me, that every generation uh, we've got to reinvent democracy in America. Uh, I remember I've read, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was like the son of the richest family in New York. This guy failed at everything he ever did. Uh, he, they, he ran a bank and he ran that into the ground. You know, he tried to run for Senate and he just was, you know, he was a wimp. He didn't really care about anything because he had been raised with a silver spoon in his mouth. He got polio and he was laid out for like years and had to teach himself how to walk, you know, with his arms. And he was the strongest president we've ever had because and he got us through, you know, craziness, the depression, World War II, because he was strong. Well, we went through a pandemic and we went through the worst president America's ever seen. And we're, I think, as Wisconsinites, and we went through 2008 when teachers lost 
uh, when teachers union was was over. We went through it a lot in Wisconsin. It's all been bad. And I think we needed that in order to give us the courage to get ourselves back on track. So absolutely, Kirk. And, you know, to continue with your your reference uh, to FDR, I think an awful lot of people agree with you. Greatest president, greatest challenges uh, in an economic crisis, a, a, a social crisis, a world war. Um, and what did he do? He got this country back on track through sheer force and not doing undemocratic things, um, doing things, even his attempt. My point was going to be, even when the Supreme Court was him the results he wanted, he didn't simply say, no, I'm not going to do that. He didn't, he didn't default to this constitutional crisis. What he said is, well, the legislature, the federal legislature, got an opportunity to increase the number of justices. And he went down that road, not successful. Why in the end? Because the Supreme Court, for a variety of reasons, began to issue decisions supporting him and his new deal and all the other things you're describing here. That's, that is aggressive. Yes, um, appropriately so. It's not unconstitutional. Um, it's thoughtful. It's ensuring that in the midst of a crisis that we are in right now, you've described the, our recent history, this worst president ever, and the continuing challenges we have. That's what we've got to rally for now and understand, number one, which is the discussion this morning, the seriousness of this issue. It is hair on fire, but hair on fire for good reason. And number two, what do you do to take action? And that is you vote once again. And presumably you vote in a direction that supports democracy, that supports notions of common sense, and that gives the, the clerks and the secretary of state the capacity to make decisions about who in fact won and doesn't, doesn't give the system the capacity to take your vote away and render it meaningless. And future votes also meaningless if that's what Wisconsin becomes. It Here's my, my only note of, of, of caution about this, the, the historical parallel here is that FDR took over a nation that had already been broken. It had gone through a, a depression for many years to that point. Because if anybody was sounding alarm bells during the Roaring Twenties, they clearly weren't loud enough, and we we saw the depression, the crash, and the depression that resulted from it. So I don't want us to get to that point where we need an FDR to heal a broken nation. We are we are not broken the way we could be. If everything you've described over this past hour were to come to fruition, then we would be broken. And we would need a, 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 you know, a heroic unifying figure at that point. It's simply our hope. We're here in the middle of this, you know, roaring twenties phase of, of Trumpism to, to say this can't sustain itself. This is not good for the country. Uh, so Kirk, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're raising the, uh, you know, the alarm bells on this. Well, I'm, I mean, you're raising alarm bells. Jim's raising alarm bells. Kristen's going to D.C. every week raising the alarm bells about Roe, uh, about, you know, get, getting women's reproductive rights back. Uh, you know, we're we're all doing our part and we're, you know, from rural, except for Jim, we're all from rural Wisconsin. But somehow <laughs> we've become this juggernaut in this in the entire country uh, to make sure that everybody votes for democracy uh, in, a, in in 20 some days. Crazy. And we live in places where we can have conversations, where we must have conversations that are difficult. They're hard to start, but we've got to re-engage people on issues and help them understand what's at stake here. And that's what you've been able to help us figure out today, Jim and Kirk. So Jim, thanks for, thanks for doing civics. some overtime with us. We appreciate it. 
Absolutely. Anytime. Delighted to be with you, all three of you, Kristen, Pat, Kirk. Uh, we're looking forward to our next discussion. Go out there and vote. All right. Uh, good advice to wrap things up on. So um, as our good friend Steve Miller would say, you've got to go to hell before you get to heaven. So thanks for enduring it with us for 27 more days. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow morning, starting at eight o'clock with our interview with Governor Tony Evers. Have a great Wednesday. Watch this